From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining. It's the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today our show is covering both land and sea, but it's all Mississippi. First, we'll talk with the authors of the cookbook titled On the Coast, Tales and Recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Then we go to the farm to talk to the good folks from Pecan Hill Farms in Raymond. They have a you pick it this summer where you can get fresh fruits to make your meals fresh from farm to table. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning. Let us know about your favorite farm farmers markets by giving us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to food at mpbonline.org. This is Deep South Dining from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today our show covers both land and sea, but it's all Mississippi. First, we're going to talk with the authors of the cookbook titled On the Coast, Tales and Recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Then we go to the farm to talk to the good folks from Pecan Hill Farms in Raymond. They have a U-Pick this summer where you can get fresh fruits to make your meals farm-to-table fresh. As always, we're looking for your comments and experiences about your summer kitchen and let us know about your favorite farm or farmer's markets by giving us a call today at one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's one 672 7464 or you can send an email food at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Uh, just a reminder that uh, if you ever miss a Deep South Dining episode, you can always hear the podcast. Just go to mpbonline.org slash deep south dining and you can catch up on previous episodes. So good morning, Deborah. Hope that you had a good weekend. Kevin, you know I had an amazing weekend. Anytime I get a chance to hang out with you, it just always brightens my weekend. So uh, we had a blast. We actually uh, had a wonderful luncheon at one of my favorite places downtown. And the food was amazing. The people were amazing. And... Again, I got to hang out with you, and I got to see the amazing Felder Russian. Uh, it was so good to see Felder because I hadn't seen him in a bit, so it was wonderful. Yeah, at uh, Parlor Market was where we went. The uh, foundation had an event that uh, I was helping out with, and you were invited to, and uh, the, the brunch was very good. Um, <clears throat> I liked they had the, the shrimp and grits were quite, quite good. Uh, the other thing I liked was that they had the fresh fruit and it had a sauce, which I think was some kind of peppery. But it, to me, it was really good because there was a real contrast between the sweetness of the fruit and sort of the tanginess of the pepper sauce. Right, right. It was really great. And and, it, and that's the beautiful thing about fruit, Kevin. You know, you don't always just have to have it, you know, with the idea of having it sweet. You can always add a little fire to it. And, you know, I like a little pepper, you know, or you can add a little vinegar and, you know, mints and other things to just kind of brighten that fruit up a little bit. So it was absolutely wonderful. But I'm going to tell you what made me happy this morning when I had your watermelon Millen sorbet. Thank you. It was the perfect bite this morning. You brought us these amazing little cups. And of course, with me running across the parking lot with high heels on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a little bit out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just absolutely amazing. So thank you so much. 
Thanks. That's something. Uh, several years ago, I got uh, one of the fancy ice cream makers uh, as a birthday gift, and uh, the recipe was in there. Uh, it's fairly easy. It's fruit juice, water, and sugar. And so you make a, a syrup, and you let that cool, and then you add the fruit juice and then chill that, and then pour it into the ice cream maker, and about 40 minutes later, uh, it's finished. And I had tried the watermelon sorbet before using the watermelon, fresh watermelon, and it really, to me, the watermelon flavor really does come out quite boldly on that. And so tried it again. And uh, this time I've also recently bought a, a food processor. So I'm always trying to figure out ways to use that. So oh, actually, so you are just fancy. <laughs> actually pureed the watermelon and then strained it uh, through a strainer to make sure there were no seeds and, you know, not too much pulp or whatever. And got the watermelon juice. And like I said, just, uh, uh, you know, kind of a couple of hours and uh, had the the sorbet. So that was uh, well, very Well, Kevin, tasty. you know, I was real grown before I knew what puree really was, darling. You know, we just <laughs> smashed it or mashed it out. You know, that's too funny. <laughs> uh, but you, as usual, brought some, some good stuff, uh, something that I have heard of, my mother is a big fan of, but I don't think I'd ever had, and that was uh, rice pudding. Uh, but you dressed it up as usually as you uh, like to do. So uh, tell us what you brought in. Kevin, so of course today one of the things we're going to be talking about are blueberries. And so over the weekend I've been having a lot of fun with blueberries, but I thought what a wonderful way to pair with a rice pudding. And this is a really old southern dish. It was actually a dish that was created uh, during uh, very hard economic times, you know, when pe people were looking for the leftovers to prepare meals. And so rice pudding was born. Ta-da! It's really delicious. And what I did was just simply create a wonderful blueberry ganache to go on top. It's just really simple, really easy to make, and it's super yummy. So is um, do you use rice that's already been cooked? Yes, it's pre-cooked rice. And so it's a great way to use that leftover rice. And, of mm -hmm. course, when, you know, people had large families, rice was a huge stable constantly, of course, along with potatoes, you know, because you could just feed a lot of people. And so sometimes you would have leftover rice. And at the same meal, you know, you may have served your family, you know, rice and gravy, and then you wanted to give them something sweet for dessert. And you created this yummy rice pudding and you could use all of your summer fruit in your puddings, you know, or you could use raisins in there or you could just do it like I did today and just make a basic pudding and then top it with those amazing fruit. You know, and uh, from when I made my blueberry uh, dish uh, a couple of weeks ago, what I love about blueberries, I mean, I love the taste, of course, but the color uh, of the blueberries. And then when you make with your ganache or whatever, there's that bluish purplish color looks really appetizing. <laughs> I always think of Willy Wonka blueberries. <laughs> it's like I'm going to wake up and turn into a big blueberry. I'm going to be juiced somewhere in the world, Kevin. It's too funny. But I love blueberries. I mean, you know, not only are they delicious, but they're really good for your body. They're high in antioxidants. They're just a wonderful little bite to have. And we grow them really well here in Mississippi. And so uh, these are fresh. They are farm fresh that I used. And I'm just really excited about how this dish turned out. And you also brought in some uh, a dip of some sort. So tell us about that. I did. There's a wonderful seafood dip. It's really simple. It's just a basic yogurt cream base with just a little bit of cream cheese in it to kind of give it a little bit of richness. There are bites of shrimp in here, crawfish, along with crab meat, 
some green onions, some chives, a hint of pepper, not too much, a little bit of garlic. Mix that all up together, Kevin. But what's really wonderful is I created some spicy blueberries to finish it with, you know, in your bite. And so when you put, when you I use a really decadent cracker, you put your dip and then you add these spicy blueberries, which I call my country caviar. It's just really amazing bite. Um, I also this weekend uh, made my second batch of homemade uh, hummus. And uh, turned out very good. I, the the first time I made some, it was a little bit on the dry side. So um, I, what I've been doing is I add a little bit more of the. Uh, you drain the gabonzo beans uh, before you put them in the food processor, but then I added a little bit of the liquid back in there. And I think I have not had to try. I had a chance to taste any that this batch yet, but I believe that this one will be a little bit moister. And so I think it's more the consistency of hummus that uh, that I was going for. But again, that was fairly easy. It was um, garlic. Uh, some lemon juice, the tahini paste, uh, the garbanzo, garbanzo beans, um, and some green onions, and some sun-dried tomatoes, and just all that up into the uh, the food processor and and uh, process it, and, and it came out very nice. I love a really well done hummus, and especially if I can have it on a nice toasted baguette, I just think it's really amazing. But the but say garbanzo. Sounds like this Italian guy waiting for you around the corner. <laughs> Yo, the garbanzo's going to get you. You know, it's just really funny. I like it. Uh, I use uh, some baby carrots and some pita bread and, and for lunch because I was, you know, always trying to uh, cut down on the calories and have a little bit more healthy. And so a, a way to get some vegetables into my diet. And and I think that uh, uh, hummus is, is relatively healthy or not, not too decadent. So it's a, a good way to do some lunch. And as I say, it's very tasty and quite filling as well. So um, now we're celebrating... Uh, catfish uh, next week on the show, but I noticed that you posted a picture of some blackened catfish last night on social media, and, you know, we love having you on on the line, uh, on the line, on the air here with us, uh, but uh, you have a, a presence online as well, so talk about uh, your social media things and, and how people can uh, can follow you if they want more, more of honey. Well, please follow me at, I like the way you said that, do you want some more honey, uh, at Cooking with Honey and Friends via Facebook on YouTube and on Instagram, please subscribe to us there. And also, please, please, please download the app for MPB for Deep South Dining. That's really important to uh, Kevin and I, pre- the presence that we have here. So that would be really appreciated. But yes, Kevin, last night it was blackened catfish for me and I did it whole it was, and it's really easy. Basically, I, I, lo- I have a set of cast iron skillets that I've had forever, and they go, they range from the little bitty babies cast iron skillet that I can do a little pan of cornbread in to this really huge pan. And so I pulled it out last night, just a tad bit of butter, seasoned my catfish up really, really well, basic salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic, a few other things. And then I added just a little bit of paprika because you want that really beautiful color that paprika is going to give you. Seared it up in the pan. And the wonderful thing about when you're blackening catfish, Kevin, or any catfish, you don't have to move it because you don't want to tear it. After about three minutes or so, you can just kind of shift the pan a little bit and and it'll just move and then you can just turn it and flip it. And then I finished it off in the oven because I was cooking some other things and it just turned out absolutely amazing. And then I made a homemade yogurt tartar and I uh, added spicy blueberries, my country caviar to it. It was a beautiful presentation, but the bite was just amazing. Uh, I saw online that uh, one of those food hacks, uh, they said that if you uh, want to reheat pizza, 
instead of the microwave or the oven, that you put it in the skillet and you heat it up that way. And uh, they said that it you know keeps the the crust crispy and that it'll heat up. So that's uh, another use for for uh, the old uh, iron uh, cast iron skillet. Well, it's really not a hack. It's what we did before we had the <laughs> microwave, Kevin. Duh. Are you serious? It's so funny to me. It's like you know, I, and I've, I said this quite often. I you know when I moved, I packed up all the fancy smancy stuff and it's in storage. And so I don't really use a lot of that stuff. And so cast iron skillets are, to me, priceless because, you, I mean, you can't destroy them, basically. I mean, it's almost impossible. I've had them forever. They, they look like they're brand new. They're really easy to take care of. But they make for such wonderful conduits for heating. Uh, doing my eggs, they just turn out absolutely perfect. Searing my fish, whatever I'm doing in the pan, it's just absolutely amazing. Everybody should have a cast iron skillet. We need to take a break, but after the break, we'll be talking with the authors of the book On the Coast, Tales and Recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It's a collection of more than 130 recipes from Mississippi chefs, home cooks, and charter boat captains. If you want to join in on the conversation this morning, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You always can also send an email, food at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Now on the phone, we're going to talk to some folks. We have one of the authors of the cookbook On the Coast, Tales and Recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We're going to be talking with Troy Gilbert and also the illustrator of the of the cookbook, uh, Billy Solitario. So Troy and Billy, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks for having us. Good morning. Nice to, morning. Nice to talk with you. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. Hey, we're doing great. So how's everything on the coast today? Beautiful. Well, I, <laughs> I'm actually in New Orleans right now, but uh, oh, I'm, I'm so really jealous. jealous. <laughs> uh, so, Troy, if you just, would, I was just there yesterday. I went out to Horn Island, and it was the island looks so beautiful right now. It's incredible. Oh wow! Wow. Uh, Troy, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the cookbook. Uh, where did you uh, come up with the idea to have uh, to, to write a cookbook about uh, some uh, recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast? Well, it's uh, this is. This book is actually my fourth cookbook, and at the time, about three years ago, I was uh, right up for boating and sailing magazines as well, and uh, got arranged to do a trip out to Horn Island for Boat U.S. magazine on cruising Horn Island, and ended up on a on a Hatteras with uh, Chef Matthew Mayfield and his best friend Billy Solitario, and we went out there for a night. I didn't know these guys from Adam, and... <laughs> We ended up going out to the island, fishing, drinking some beer and all that stuff. And the next morning, we were cruising back out. I was like, all right, so we have a uh, classically trained uh, chef from uh, the Culinary Institute of America, and Matthew Mayfield. We've got this incredible coastal artist and a guy who does cookbooks. And so I basically just said on the way back to Ocean Springs, I was like, you know, the three of us should do a cookbook. And, you know, three years later, the book is out. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the recipes. Uh, where did you get them from, and, and, and how is the cookbook organized? 
Well, it's obviously it's very seafood oriented, and one of the things I do, I do a lot of hybrid type cookbooks. So besides the fact that we brought in all of Billy's, you know, just beautiful coastal art, um, we, I have all these stories I've done on boating and fishing on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and um, so it's very seafood oriented. We have an entire chapter on boat snacks, which is you know just kind of fun, easy recipes that you can actually you know have on the boats if you go out for the day or fishing and and all that good stuff. And also there's you know desserts, there's classic desserts. There's uh, meat recipes, and those are all called from old family recipes of Matthew and Billy's on the uh, on the Mississippi coast, as well as from uh, restaurants throughout the Mississippi <clears throat> Gulf Coast. Um, just you know, just quiet. And also charter boat captains. We did a fishing trip out to the islands, and uh, the guy on board who was cooking all the meals for us, he actually put in a recipe for redfish on there. Um, so it's just it's from all sorts. It's really just a taste of the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So now, Billy, you are a guitarist from Gaucher. Oh uh, no! Oh, you're from Gaucher. <laughs> Did I just do that? <laughs> that is too funny. <sighs> Billy's quite a good guitarist. <laughs> you're from Gaucher, and that that is too funny. I'm still I'm so embarrassed. But anyway, tell us a little bit about uh, how you choose the illustrations for your cookbook. Well, well, luckily, I actually I produce a lot of uh, paintings about the Mississippi Gulf Coast, still lives of oysters and shrimp, and all 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 meaning of, of everything that comes out of the ocean. And I do a lot of um, my landscapes are all based on many of them are from Horn Island and along the Mississippi Gulf Coast and the marinas. So when we were discussing the the, uh, the genesis of the cookbook, basically my my role was just to keep painting beautiful pictures, and we would just choose pieces that would fit for the uh, for the book. And as opposed to illustrations, it's the, the, which are more based about a specific uh, drawing for a specific uh, piece of literature, these are just these are just kind of a, a, a showcase of my paintings. And uh, understand that you have a gallery uh, in the French Quarter. If you could tell us a little bit about that, I, 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 it's actually it's in New Orleans. Um, I have a gallery in New Orleans, but it's not in the French Quarter. It's on Magazine Street. Okay, um, and it can be found at BillySolitario dot com. And I show throughout Mississippi and Jackson. Um, at Brown's Fine Art and in in um, Ocean Springs at um, the Pink Rooster Gallery. So how important do you think the art and illustration is when you're pairing it with a cookbook in terms of how it increases or affects sales? So I'll, um, I'll go ahead and answer that. I mean, one of the funny things right. you know, is because Matthew and I, were, we really spent, a, you know, just a ton of time, uh, you know, testing these recipes and having big giant, like, you know, we, had, we spent weekends and days out on the coast cooking these these recipes up, and they would always end up in, you know, turn into a party. All these, you know, all of Matthew's friends and Billy's friends would just show up and we'd be out on the pier cooking charcoal oysters and all this. But, you know, <laughs> Billy's work was primarily done. And so, you know, we would always kind of joke that, you know, Matthew and I are working hard, but Billy's like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, but you, but, you, but you realize I was my, working uh, hard. I was, I was crab is going to be what's selling this book on that cover. <laughs> Well, while they were cooking, I was looking over their shoulders at the beautiful clouds behind them and, and taking notes on the colors and on the shapes. So my work was different than theirs. But I, I do think to answer your question, it, it, so obviously images are, are super important when it comes to a cookbook. And I, I think it was a great combination of, of, uh, of my work with the On the Coast theme. I know for me, like when I'm shopping, because I have tons, I'm creating a, on a beautiful library of cookbooks. And one of the things that's very appealing to me uh, in, immediately, Troy, is the covers. When I see them, you know, if these bright, beautiful, vivid colors, uh, a lot of times I'll just buy them and then, uh, you know, go home and read them later because those uh, images are so powerful. 
Yeah, the, um, we told our publisher the entire time, you know, especially after we had delivered the manuscript and we're going through the finer details about actually how the book would appear. Um, you know, I kept explaining. I was like, look, you know, this is this is a very masculine book. I mean, and, and it really is. Um, just for me, Billy's pulling out these colors from the Mississippi coast. You know, they're just really strong blues and and uh, thunderstorms and things like that. So it's it's definitely a, a masculine book. I mean, there's nothing as far as colors go of just you know. The, Frilly or Easter or anything like that. So it's it's very. <laughs> I mean, it, it just it just screams the Mississippi Coast. Or just for the record, you know, girls really like the masculine stuff. Where there is masculine <laughs> stuff, there is boys. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not limiting fifty percent of the market. <laughs> so, Billy, talk a little bit about uh, maybe your inspiration for your artwork. Well, I grew up in Goshen, Mississippi, as we've always said, and uh, guitar, I, Mississippi. Was, guitar Mississippi. <laughs> I um my inspiration came from, from where I grew up. I I, I was a, a kid like everybody else who loved to draw and paint, and I um I just kept doing it a lot more as I got older. Um, there was a point in my life where I decided I had to find out. I really wanted to learn how to paint, which was kind of difficult back then. Um, but I found some instructors, um, Oscar Ozals at the New Orleans Academy of Fine Arts over here in New Orleans, um, was able to instruct me on how to paint, which is something that that that's kind of difficult to um to find sometimes. And once I once I've learned how to paint, then then what to paint was really easy. I just I knew I wanted to paint the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and so that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, I paint what's under the ocean in still lives. I paint what's above the ocean. I love painting clouds. Um, I love you know anything along the Gulf Coast. A lot of boating imagery. You know that's where I grew up. And you know like like uh, like Twain said, you kind of if you can write what you know, you're going to do a good job of it. So I kind of paint what I know. We're visiting with uh, the uh, author and illustrator of the cookbook On the Coast, Tales and Recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Troy Gilbert, and the illustrator is Billy Solitario. Troy, uh, this is a, a hybrid cookbook and that it's more, we've talked and mentioned how Billy has a lot of great uh, artwork in there, uh, but also some stories to go along with uh, the uh, recipes. Yeah, that's, like I said, uh, you know, I, I do um, write about boating and fishing and uh, competitive sailing and so there's, you know, there's stories on obviously the story, uh, an award-winning story on cruising the Horn Island. Um, I went to Stanislaus, so you know, I have a lot of experience um, running the coast and, and boating. And, uh, so you know, there's races like the I cover the Gulfport Pensacola race, um, just you know, the kind of history of it and the ties to uh, the Mississippi coast. And you know, that race just ran uh, last weekend for the I think it was the '76 running of that race. Um, so those stories really just kind of cover every aspect of being on the water, which is so crucial to everybody that lives on the Mississippi coast. And it's amazing to me how uh, food and stories are almost uh, like first cousins. You can't really have a great meal without having a really great story to pair with it. So I think this is such a brilliant uh, concept, you know, to be able to tell beautiful stories about the Mississippi Gulf Coast and Biloxi in that area and then tell these rich stories that go along with it. And, you know, and part of the deal is, you know, when you're out on a boat, even if you're fishing for tonight's dinner, you're also still eating on the boat. So, I mean, whether you're, you know, on a sailboat race in the Pensacola or you're out there fishing all day um, down by Cat Island or off of Ship Island, um, you're still eating. So, you know, you need to have that food on board and keep the crew happy and everybody's morale up while you're bringing in dinner for that evening. So what's your favorite bite when you're out sailing? What's my favorite Snack. Well, I've got that way. I've got mine. This oh, is a no-brainer. Sure. Yeah, Billy's got a good one. It's uh, it's Reese's oysters out of a can on a on a cracker with some hot sauce. And it's, <laughs> and it's as good as it's ever going to be. I mean, they just 
Oh, they just really hit the spot. I will vouch for this. Billy, this is apparently, now that I know him as well as I do, you know, this is this is Billy's tradition when he's on the boat. So, like, if you're ever running low on food on the boat, he will always have a tin or two of these uh, these little canned oysters. And he sold me on it. I, I was like, you know, this is, uh, I'm not going to enjoy this. You know, I prefer my oysters right out of the half shell. But um, sitting out there on the boat, you know, everything tastes delicious. And so Billy's, Billy's absolutely right that uh, these oysters with hot sauce just on a, on a fancy cracker are delicious. And that's actually in the book, but the, most of the recipes are much more uh, right. And, and I learned that from Matthew Mayfield, the, the, uh, who put you know, who, who's the chef for the book. He's he's really the genesis of that of that beautiful little recipe. So, uh, Troy, you, we we mentioned him a couple of times, but the chef Matthew Mayfield is the uh, the co-author. Uh, tell us about it. You mentioned uh, CIA trained. Is is he a Mississippian as well? Yes, uh, Matthew's from uh, was born and raised in Pascagoula. He uh, after he went to uh, CIA up in Hyde Park, New York. He uh, came back down. Uh, he worked in New Orleans restaurants for a little while and then made the, jo- the job back over to Pascagoula and opened up Matthew's, which was a fine dining restaurant. <laughs> and these days, he and his family resurrected, uh, he and his brother, brother-in-law resurrected a, um, uh, the family great-grandfather's barbecue restaurant. And so they now have Tay's Barbecue, which is, they have three locations up in Pascagoula, Madison, and uh, Moss Point. Okay. Now, what's amazing to me, a lot of people don't realize this, because immediately when you think about Biloxi and the Gulf Coast, you know, and going down 10 in that beautiful area, you think seafood. But barbecue is really a big deal. It is. And it was, I mean, it's so interesting, you know, just hearing all these stories from Matthew's family. So this, the, the old family barbecue restaurant, I want to say it was like in the 30s, um, something like that. And they had discovered his uh, great-grandfather's original barbecue uh, recipe. And so Matthew did a taste testing for the family, a blind taste testing, with three sauces he came up with, and and this original sauce that they had rediscovered. And uh, in the blind tasting, his great grandfather, his ancestors' sauce blew his sauces out of the water, and uh, so that's quite an ancient little uh, barbecue sauce that they're using. Wow. So uh, if uh, folks are interested uh, in the book on the coast tales and recipes from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, how can they go about getting a copy? They're pretty much everywhere. Uh, I just made a run to Ocean Springs over the weekend, and so they, I know they have copies at uh, Bay Books in Bay St. Louis and uh, Pass Christian at the little coffee shop, uh, Cat Island Coffee Shop. Um, uh, Matthew should have copies at uh, all three or two of the locations at, for Tay's Barbecue. They're available online at Amazon. They're available at, on our website, uh, on the Uh So they're pretty much prevalent everywhere the you know the book surprised us and our publisher in that it went to a second printing in less than 90 days oh Um, wow congratulations released in in october and we were scrambling for uh for copies to sell for places to sell towards uh right towards the end of the beginning of the christmas holidays well, I, th- I think you've hit upon something because as we talked about, you know, the, the great artwork and then the recipes to go along with the story. So I think it really would stand out to me amongst other cookbooks because there are those great recipes there, but also there's there's much more than that. And so, uh, Troy, Billy, we appreciate having you uh, on the air this morning. And we definitely appreciate it. Thank you very much. You guys keep enjoying a beautiful day. All right. 
Uh, we're going to take another quick break. When we get back, uh, we'll talk uh, to uh, the folks from Pecan Hill Farms in Raymond. They'll let you know how they got started and all about the You Pick events where you can pick your own berries. You can still join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email the show food at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Oh, they caught me again. That's the problem with the food show. We try to eat during the break and invariably we're going to get caught chewing. So give me just one second. (laughs) Okay, Kevin, these pecans are definitely worth chewing, okay? Yeah, nice big ones. We are now joined by Susan and Max Drawn from Pecan Hill Farms in Raymond. Uh, throughout the summer, we're going to feature farms as well as uh, farmers markets uh, that, and help promote eating farm to table and knowing where your food is coming from. So, Max and Susan, thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So uh, we mentioned Raymond. Give us a little bit more detail about uh, where your uh, where your farm is located. We're on we're on Highway 18, uh, about five miles uh, south of Raymond. Okay. Uh, how long have you uh, been operating the farm? We've had that farm. We bought our first piece of property there uh, 15 years ago. And uh, give us some background. Have you always been interested in, in farming? I've always been interested in it, but I've only actually uh, participated in it for 15 years uh, with pecans. that are, You pick fruits only in the last five to six years. I spent 25 years in the pharmaceutical industry. Okay. And actually, I've been to the orchard. It's absolutely beautiful. You can see it just right off the highway. It's a beautiful place. Our orchards, uh, there's two parts of our orchards. The original part of that was was, was, put, was part of the moss plantation. Right. And originally, there were uh, 640 acres of pecans there of the old orchards, which there's about 100 acres left. And those trees were planted in the 1870s. Right. And then we've planted around 7,000 pecan trees since 2002. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And because I do a lot of pecan pies during the holidays, and I know that it's super busy for you guys during that time of year, they are some of the best pecans in the state. I do have to say that. Well, thank you. And not just because you you guys are sitting here or that we want extra pecans when you leave. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right, so there are two sides to the farm. There's the U-Pick and then the, the Bass Pecan Company. By the way, do you, am I, I say pecan, but I'm not a native Mississippi. I've been here a while, but I'm not a native. So why don't we settle that now? How, how we, we say in Mississippi it's pecan. If you're in South Georgia and a few other places, it's, it's pecan. pecan. <laughs> but we don't say it that way. It's pecan, which is a more reflection of the, the, the Native American name, which was P-A-C-C-A-N-E with some type of inflection on it. Which, Kevin, meant, which meant a stone that you had to crack with a rock. Because, Kevin, we do know what you do with a pecan. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll leave that right there. <laughs> um, so, but, go ahead. But we do have the U-Pig side. Uh, we, we started our first plantings. Uh, were blueberries. They were about 10 years ago. Uh, we, we planted uh, about 2,500 bushes. Uh, those are in production now. That's about two and a half acres of blueberries. We have two two acres of blackberries that are thornless. We picked all the thorns off. 
I actually they come that way, but uh, uh, they were they were bred to be thornless, so there's no thorns to get you. And then we have a couple of acres of peaches, which did not make this year. We had too warm of a winter and didn't have enough chill hours, so there were no peaches in several states this year in the southeast. And then we have and those are all in production. And then we have um, we have chestnuts as well. We have five mm-hmm. acres of American Chinese hybrid chestnuts. Wow. Uh, and then we have newer plantings that we did this year of of plums. Um, Crab apples, mulberries, and a few other uh, small fruits that should be in production within a couple of years. Now, one of the things that I like coming there is because not only are there products that are beautifully packaged and ready to go, but if I wanted to go out there and get my hands into, you know, picking up stuff, I can do that. And for me, that feels very wonderful. Well, on our pecans, our, our business is centered around the flavor of the pecan and we didn't really do this. It just kind of developed this way that we'll normally have in the store six to ten varieties of pecans. Mm-hmm. Uh, pecans start in October, begin in September, 1st of October, and some mature later than others. So we start them, they come into the store at different times. And from from October through early January, we'll have, again, six to ten varieties in the store till, till we run out for the season. And people come in and they taste. We allow them to crack pecans and taste. Mm-hmm. And there's a flavor profile that's different in each pecan. Uh, some people seem to be able to tell it more than others. I after if I, if I eat about three different ones in a row, you've got enough in your mouth. You can't tell the difference. But a lot of people are very specific in the variety that they want and what they like once they find it. Um, and it varies based upon the big thing is the tocopherols, the vitamin E content, which is the oil in pecans, which is, gives them the flavor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the biggest pecans are not the most flavorful because they're drier. Right. Uh, the little small uh, seedling or native pecans tend to have the, the most intense flavor because the oil content's higher. Um, uh, some of the varieties that are smaller have better flavor. Then we we look for ones that are larger that have better flavor uh, that that we uh, shell out to have in our store. And and we grow uh, about 10 varieties, 10 to 11 varieties. And we have some new ones that will come on next two to three years that are young trees, uh, new ones that we'll add in. But people come in and they'll taste sometimes for 20 minutes, 30 minutes to decide what they want, and we'll crack them for them and they can take them home. Or we have pecans already shelled. Like the ones we brought in for you today. That's the Elliott pecan, which is becoming a very popular pecan in Mississippi. It's small. It's round. I always say it's cute, and Max rolls his eyes every time I say that. (laughs) But it makes a great presentation. It makes a great presentation on the top of a pie and candy. Um, And I brought it to you today, roasted and salted. Elliot used to always be only was sold to to, uh, uh, confectioners who would put them on candy because of like divinity or whatever they were the right size. And they were considered a second-level pecan because they weren't large. There was a period when la- large, large, large was the only thing anybody keyed on. And we key on flavor. And it's kind of come away from that as being that baking pecan because of its intense flavor and high oil content and its consistent quality. I was about to say that it, the, when you bite into it, it's just the perfect bite for me for a pecan. The flavor is all it released immediately, where sometimes you, you bite a pecan, you have to chew it for a minute to feel that wonderful flavor. But almost instantly when you bite into the Elliot, mm-hmm. you know that you've got a really great pecan. Well, another important thing is it needs to be fresh. Mm-hmm. So the pecans that you buy in the grocery store are not always fresh. You need to be very careful when you're um, going to be cooking that you're buying fresh pecans. You, they are perishable. They need to be frozen. Um, they can be frozen for several years. Um, or they can be put in the refrigerator for a couple of months. Pecans Do not have leave no, them out. 
on Pecan, the counter. Pecans have no loss of flavor when they're frozen because there's very little moisture in there. Uh, we're, we dry them down before we package the raw pecans to 3 to 3.5% moisture. What's in there is the oil content, so they can be frozen, thawed, and refrozen without loss of flavor. I think that's another reason, too, when you're barbecuing that pecan wood works is such a wonderful element because of the oils that are actually in the wood and then the release of that wonderful fragrance that you get when you're barbecuing as well. But this is absolutely a delicious bite. And, of course, Kevin has eaten his portion. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you guys noticed, but he took the bag over to the side as to tell me I've had my shit. No, 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 no. <laughs> I put the bag over to the side so I would stop eating them. They're absolutely delicious. I mean, like I said earlier, I love pecans, and these really, really are good. And I, and that's why I was sitting back letting everyone else talk. I figured, well, the show's going along. Everybody's talking. I'm going to keep munching on these pecans here, and they, they can do the talking. Uh, but And the blueberries as well, really fresh and, and tasty. So thank you so much for, for bringing that in. Uh, Max, one thing you said I thought was interesting, and I guess is part of maybe the, the challenges of a business like you have, is that you're somewhat dependent on Mother Nature. Uh, yes, the weather can, can wreak havoc. And our warm winter that we just had uh, with a lack of chill hours, uh, again, no peaches this year. Uh, it seemed to not affect the blueberries and not really affect the blackberries. Pecans are affected this year. We've seen some varieties that didn't get enough chill hours and we have a smaller crop. Or uh, We noticed that the trees this year on the pecans, uh, the bottom part of the tree bloomed out it out and then it was two weeks before the top part which we really don't know what that's going to do come harvest time will those nuts all mature will they mature at the same time so it'd be be questions which will delay could delay especially on the blocks that we we uh, harvest to shell out to have shelled pecans in our store you know, and that, that makes um, actually such a great segue into talking about global warming and how important it is for us to invest and take care of the earth, and especially for those of us who depend on farming. And, uh, you know, pecan trees are very sensitive to be able to take care of those. The taking care of your environment and getting involved is just really important for everybody because food depends on, great healthy food depends on a wonderful, beautiful, healthy environment. Let's talk a little bit about the you pick them uh, side, because to me, that sounds like that would be a fun family activity for a weekend. You know, get the, the kids out there and pick. How, do, how does it work? Do you you get a bucket and head out there or tell us about that? Yes, you, we, we have buckets available. We have a pavilion where you come and you park. Uh, you get a bucket. Uh, there are one gallon buckets and you go into the rows and we keep them mowed nice and clean. And um, you just pick the berries. It's very easy. We keep the we keep them pruned down to a level of about four and a half, five feet tall. Uh, blueberries will get eight or ten feet tall if they're just left untended, but they get spindly and you don't get as much fruit and you can't reach it. So we keep them, we keep them pruned down. Uh, we always have huge amounts of fruit on the blueberries especially. Um, they can just pick their bucket. They pick their $8 a gallon. They come back up to the pavilion and we bag them up in a bag for them to take home. And when I tell you $8 is so inexpensive compared to you going to the grocery store and getting a, about a, a half a cup of blueberries for about three bucks. Well, what you price. get for that $8 is a, is a gallon bucket, which is between five and a half and six pounds of blue, pecans, right, right, I mean of blueberries. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the blackberries, we do the blackberries, they're $16 a gallon. And, and you don't have quite as much weight, but they're nice, really large. 
Uh, these are thornless blackberries uh, that are bred to be large. They'll be uh, big as, almost big as your thumb, mm-hmm. some of them. They're really large. And for me, it's being able to take those fresh fruit and making jams and jellies and pies and cakes and cookies and all. That, that's right. But, you know, it doesn't have to just be a sweet. It could be something else. Like I make a blueberry salsa, mm-hmm. um, blueberry lemonade, blackberry lemonade. So I even use it in cooking with entrees, you know, um, mashing it up and kind of creating a sauce to go on top of a pork tenderloin, things like that. We also encourage people to, we we talk about incorporating into in different foods, but to eat them, eat them raw and fresh. Uh, Our berries, blueberries and blackberries, that we don't spray any pesticides on them. They, They can grow here. Uh, without that, our blueberries are what's called rabbit eye blueberries, which are native. It's a native plant. You can find them in the wild, That's smaller right. berries. But uh, you can grow them without anything being sprayed on them. Uh, and to get people used to eating fruit uh, that doesn't have to be incorporated into something with sh- added sugar or whatever else. And we noticed that younger children, five or six-year-olds, are very much will try that. They're in that still at age when they'll come out and they'll try the berries. Some of them overindulge. We've had some <laughs> that they get to the car and they pull off and they back up and come back and they've got to the yeah. child motion sickness. They get 100 yards and motion sickness has overcome the child. I was teasing uh, with Kevin earlier. I said, whenever I think about blueberries, I always think about Willy Wonka and then I'm going to turn into this really big blueberry because I absolutely love them. But you're right. It's a wonderful way to just have a wonderful mm-hmm. snack around the house and kids love them. And uh, on yesterday, one of the things that we did was we paired the blueberries with uh, a pan seared black and catfish and it was just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One, one of the other things is when you when you do a U-pick, like what we have is you can pick ripe berries mm-hmm. versus what's in the supermarket, which those berries, and we, we, we have a commercial blueberry farm as well in South Mississippi, but it has to be, it's a different product, I, I believe. Uh, we have to pick it early when it's very firm, so it'll last 16 to 18 days. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're doing you pick, you can take them home and you can get them in the, in the freezer or in the refrigerator you know, within a, an hour or two. And it's right, when it's right, those sugars have converted in there and those flavors are much better um, in the blueberries and blackberries and even the, the peaches, especially when we have those. A tree ripened peach is nothing like what you would buy in the grocery store. Absolutely. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion with Susan and Max Drawn of uh, Pecan Hill Farms. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to talk about maybe your favorite farm or farmer's market, we're going to featuring them from across Mississippi throughout the summer. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring You can reach us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Back with more Deep South Dining after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. We're visiting today with Susan and Max Drawn from Pecan Hill Farms. We're talking about their operation, not only pecans, but a uh, you pick it. So lots of fresh fruit, uh, blueberries and uh, blackberries and uh, <laughs> all kind of wonderful things to. Uh, so, Kevin, we need to make a blueberry 
pecan ice cream. Ah, that would be really good. The, yeah, the combination would just be incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a phone call, so why don't we invite uh, AJ, who's called in from Jackson, into the show. Good morning, AJ. Hey, AJ. Good morning. Good, morning. good. What do you have for us? I have a question for uh, for the panel. Um, I have two main ingredients um, that I'm trying to plan a, a, um, a dinner around. Um, one is Petrosian Beluga um, caviar, which is my favorite, and two, um, I well. When it was mentioned to me on last night, blueberries, we actually have a lot of blueberries in the backyard. And so I would love to incorporate that uh, into the diet as well. And uh, I just love the idea of speaking about blueberries because for me as an African-American man, you know, heart disease uh, is very prevalent in my background. And so blueberries actually kept to ward off heart disease because of all the great fiber. I would just love to incorporate those two things in and what would be good with blueberries and Petrosian Beluga. Well, immediately when you said that, I I literally saw a wonderful pan-seared fish, perhaps uh, Simon, uh, that's been well done. And then I would take and create a wonderful, uh, since you're going to be using a caviar, I'd create a uh, nice base uh, to for presentation. But I, but for the sauce, I would cook down those blueberries just a little bit, and I would take it to a, a very savory side. By adding in some uh, some onions, uh, some green onions, and some uh, perhaps a little bit of um, a little little cayenne, because I want to give it a little bit of heat, uh, AJ, just a little bit. But I would I'm going to braise it up with a little bit of butter and some and some wine, some red wine, to create my sauce. And so then you want to thicken that up just a tiny bit, AJ. You want to add maybe just a tiny bit of cream to that. And you're going to plate your um, your fish on top of that, and then you're going to use your caviar for the decadent part, and I think it'll make a great presentation. Wow. So when can I come and drop everything off to you so you can... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Cooking with Honey and Friends will be available for catering, so just call us and uh, we'll make that happen. <laughs> All right, AJ, thanks Thank for you. the call. This is Deep South Donning on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting with uh, Susan and Max Drawn from uh, Pecan Hill Farms in Raymond. Uh, so how long does the does the season last? How long are folks able to go out and uh, and pick the fresh fruit? We'll be open until next Sunday night. Okay. So we're open on limited hours. Thursday, we will reopen. Um, we're not open at all until Thursday. We'll be open from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. Then we will open again on Saturday from 7 to 1 and 5 to 8. And then Sunday evening will be our last time to be open, and we'll be open 4 to 8 p.m. And so this will be your last day opening until? Until next year for the berries. Okay. It's time for the berries to uh, retire and fall off the bush, and it's time for me to go to the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Our, our Our blueberries with the warm winter and the warm spring, are finishing up early. We, we're going to run out of blueberries. They're 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 getting past their prime uh, here shortly. And, and normally we go to about the fourth of July, but it's uh, they came a couple of weeks early this year. Usually we're open from about Memorial Day till about July fourth, and by then we've all gotten hot and we're tired, and uh, my kids are ready to go do something else. And the berries have passed the prime. Now, what I really love is the fact that this is a family-owned and operated business. Talk to us a little bit about how that works. Well, on the UPIC side, it really started as um, charity. 
One of our children was involved in Boy Scouts, and the Boy Scouts needed a fundraising project. So we opened the farm for the day um, and let people just come pick berries. And everybody kept saying, are you doing it again? Are you doing it again? And we started thinking, okay, well, maybe we'll turn this into, you know, a little venture. As long as we have kids around to man it, um, we will have this venture. So we have three boys, and the youngest one is in the 10th grade. And right now, um, the place is staffed with he and his friends, our 11th grader and his friends. So as long as they're coming home from school and want a summer job, we'll be doing the U-Pick. Fantastic. Uh, so what about the pecans? Did that Is that the same schedule? No, the pecans, the pecan season starts usually late September, 1st of October. We open our retail store there uh, across the road from the farm, usually the 1st of October. Uh, we usually have in-shell pecans by when we open the store. We have a couple of varieties that come in late September, probably a little earlier this year because of the warm winter. Uh, we usually have shelled pecans. Uh, is going to be around the 10th to the 15th of October once we get them harvested and cured and sent out to the sheller and back and packaged uh, on those. And then we will run, we usually run our pecan retail all the way through the end of the year, into the next year, till whenever we run out of pecans, which is somewhere normally late January to early February. Earlier this past year was a uh, business was really good and we ran out uh, about a week and a half into January. And not only, you know, are these pecans just great for, you know, taking home to cook yourself, but they make really wonderful gifts during the holidays. I don't know anybody that would turn down a delicious pecan as a gift. And the presentations are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, any maybe quickly sort of a unique uh, recipes, pecan recipes that folks might not think about when they right off the top of their head? Mm. Well, there's always your pecan pies mm-hmm. with different flavors in them. I actually like one with honey as opposed to... Everything's um, good with honey. Yes. <laughs> as opposed to Cairo syrup, putting the honey, fresh um, honey from the area in well, it. I think there's actually a better one than using the, the honey instead of the Cairo syrups is to use sorghum syrup as as the base. And uh, pecans roasted in the, in the oven with a little bit of butter and salt yeah. and then drizzled with uh, sorghum syrup. And then letting it, it uh, cook down and dry on there is very, very sweet with a, uh, a very deep flavor profile. I don't care how you serve these pecans. Yeah. I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, just about a half a minute left. Uh, if folks want to keep up with, uh, with how things are going at the UPIC and the, and the Bass Pecan Company, uh, Facebook, the best way to keep in touch? Uh, Facebook is a great way to keep in touch. The UPIC is on Facebook at Pecan Hill Farms UPIC Berries. And then um, our retail store for our pecans is called Bass Pecan Company. We have a website, BassPecan.com, and then we also have a Facebook page, Bass Pecan. All right. Thanks for coming in. As I said, Deborah and I both really loved both the blueberries and the pecans. So thank you so much for that. That was a really a, a tasty treat. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Patrick Barts. So for Deborah Hunter, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Monday at 9 for another Deep South Dining. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.